I want to contaminate this generation with believing in each other. That's what I want to do. Welcome to the Euro What, episode 113 for the week of March 29th, 2021. I'm Mike McComb, and I'm joined today by Ben Smith. Hey, Ben. Hey, Mike. We are a pair of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest. And this week, we'll be talking with our special guest, Chris King, about the first five entries of the first semifinal. How's it going, Ben? It's pretty good, Mike. It's the start of spring. The weather is nice. I've already given myself a sunburn from being outside slightly too much. It's great. Nice. Yes, it's perfect walking around, listening to the Eurovision playlists on an infinite loop. So, (laughs) yes. Oh, goodness. Yeah, before we get into the news proper, uh, we wanted to share some news of our own. We have launched a Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash eurowhat, you can help support the show. This is 100% optional. If you like what we're doing and want to contribute, that is awesome. If now is not a good time, because it's not a good time for a lot of folks, uh, and you just want to listen, that is awesome too. Uh, you can also send us a thumbs up gif at eurowhat on Twitter or write a glowing five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We have a little bit of news to go over before we start diving into the entries. I guess we have one fewer entry to talk about? Yeah, we are officially at 39 entries total. One thing we discussed a lot last week was the current state of Belarus, and that managed to resolve itself last week. Belarus did send the EBU a second entry, but the EBU made an official statement that the new submission was also in breach of the rules of the competition that ensure the contest is not instrumentalized or brought into disrepute. So whatever Galaxy Zemesta had up their sleeve, it was probably in the same vein as the first song. I guess I'm not that surprised. I am also the opposite of surprised on that one. Belarus has been kind of spicy the last couple of years. There was that whole jury shenanigans thing that happened at the 2019 contest that inadvertently broke the scoreboard for a couple of days. (laughs) That seemed like an intentional act. It's unfortunate, particularly because things aren't great in Belarus right now. And this is a further indication of that. No no real sense of what the long-term implications are of this. I'm not optimistic. I'm also not optimistic whether they are asked to sit out a year on purpose or if they just choose to not participate. Yeah, it's just not a great situation. I I hope to see them back at the contest in more favorable weather. Mm -hmm. Hang in there, Belarus. We are slowly getting the details of what this year's official Eurovision is going to look like in terms of interval acts, in terms of what the Netherlands has up their sleeve. There's been mentions of filming at the Erasmus Bridge, but not what we're filming at the Erasmus Bridge. But the other main note that dropped last week is at the grand final, we are going to rock the roof. Or uh, more specifically, we're going to rock several roofs. Among the performances, we're going to have Lenny Coeur, who's one of the four that won in 1969, teach in with Getty Caspers' reuniting to perform Ding-A-Dong. Sandra Kim will be performing Jamais La Vie, which won in 1986. Helena Paparizou has promised a revamped My Number One. Lordy will be on a rooftop somewhere doing their thing. And then Mons Zelmerlo will be performing Heroes. That's a pretty fun lineup. They've listed some of the rooftops in Rotterdam they're going to be performing from. And I'm excited about that one. I'm kind of sad that we don't get to go to Rotterdam because Rotterdam is a beautiful city and it has some really good 
rooftop views. So that's just a very, that's just a, a nice touch. Yes, uh, particularly with the interesting architecture that I've, I've seen in so many photos and travel guides. It, it'll be great to see how that may be incorporated into some of these performances. There's been like a weird online backlash about Mons of all people being part of this, which I don't understand. I don't get that just, at all. Mons has proven himself to be willing to be in on the joke in so much Eurovision-related stuff. He's always happy to show up and perform Heroes. I think it's great that the alumni are very involved. Of course, I used to work in alumni relations, and you do have the people who are like really into the alumni aspect of things. And he just happens to be one of them. And if there were a fundraising component to this, I am sure they would want uh, someone as photogenic and telegenic as Mons on all of their uh, promo material. Other news that uh, dropped over the week, we're going to have a pre-party. Yay! It's going to be online. Yay! Yeah. Uh, the Eurovision Spain online pre-party. They did this last year and seemed to work really well. So they're going to do it again and have participants from this year's contest gather online to perform their songs. This is all happening on YouTube on April 24th. That's going to be exciting. I'm so happy that we are getting like some kind of pre-party and some chance to see the artists engage and perform their songs in some form. Mm-hmm. In announcing that Belarus was no longer part of the competition, there was also hints that the running order may be almost ready to go, and we may be getting that this week, which will be really handy from an organizational standpoint. Now that we're starting to talk about the entries in detail, the way that we're doing it is we've split up both of the semifinals into three sections. We would love to go in running order, but until we have that, we're just going to have to guess. And so we're starting out alphabetically with the first semifinal. The first five countries we'll talk about are Australia, Ireland, Lithuania, North Macedonia, and Russia. If we do get a running order this week, we'll kick into running order with next week's episode. We invited our friend Chris King, who's been on the show many times before, to chat about this group of five entries and what he thinks, and also what we think of each song's chances in the semifinal. I always love Chris's outside perspective on things. He has the geographical knowledge that I sometimes lack, which is always nice, but also he brings fresh perspective as somebody who is not as attuned to the contest. Yes, and this was a fun chat, and I hope you all enjoy it. Welcome back to the show, Chris. It is very good to be back. Appearance number four, I believe. You are our most frequent guest on the program. It is beautiful. Have you been keeping up with any of the Eurovision news since your last visit on the show? Because some stuff has happened. Just a few uh, things. I have not been following it terribly closely, but the most important update is that there will be one, which is exciting that normalcy is returning. That is the most you can ask for, I guess. To put it in what the kids say nowadays, nature is healing. Nature is healing. We are having mega events again. Well, we're, sort of. We don't know if there's going to be an audience, like We're but. figuring out like how mega the events can be. If mega is a million, we're having like hecto events. <laughs> just like the scale of 100. Yeah, just like, just like one, one step down. Yeah, that's might be where we actually are right now. Kilo events, maybe, yeah. instead of mega events. Yes, uh, we do love the metric system here <laughs> on like, Europe. Right. Thank you, Europe, for your metric system. Thank we are saluting you with that. Giving our European listeners the math jokes they crave. But I got power, yeah!
Australia is first with Montaigne and her song Technicolor. Montaigne won Australia Decides in 2020, and she was reselected internally for 2021. Some background about her. She won the ARIA Breakthrough Artist Award back in 2016. She's been doing all sorts of projects uh, along with Eurovision. Most recently, she wrote and performs the new theme song to the podcast My Brother, My Brother and Me. That's not a show that I listen to, but Ben, I think you listened to that or have yes. listened to that yeah, in the past. That has been the one part of my podcast queue that's dropped off in quarantine, but I still follow the McElroys on Twitter. So had the weird worlds collide moment when they announced that, hey, we have our new theme song and it's from Montaigne, you know, from Eurovision. The theme song is good and it riffs in the same space as their old theme song. Chris, as our guest, what was your first impression listening to this track? The video that is included is a, a performance Montaigne did at what appears to be a cricket ground, which, welcome to Eurovision, we are already here in non-American sports. I was a big fan of that. This was definitely a good anthem Montaigne was performing there for a large crowd, and it was a nice little beat to it. I really enjoyed that. Yes. So the event that she was performing at was Sydney Mardi Gras, which is a huge pride event. And I don't know if there was a sporting component to it. I definitely thought this was like a halftime show at a sporting event. That did vibe much more, but I guess nobody was on the field mm-hmm. or near her. So there we go. That's not a sporting event. Excuse me, Australians. I no, know. I think that's fair. It's a lot of people in a stadium, and we're not used to seeing that after the last year. I know that certainly during American sport events where there is a halftime performer, usually there is people on the field. So you get people like reacting to songs, as you might see at any live performance. But it was harder to gauge how the audience was feeling when they were far away. But she was still playing for the crowd, which was perfectly good. But yeah, just hard to didn't even see their faces and their cheeringness of how rocking the song was. That's a good way. That's what the young people are saying. I think that's an interesting point to bring up because I have a feeling that's going to be what the feel for Eurovision is when the show happens, like presuming there are live performances happening in Rotterdam, which is the plan. It's going to be in an arena, but there may or may not be an audience. And if there is an audience, it is going to be distant from the stage. So you're not necessarily going to get reactions. Most major events now, they have people on Zoom and it'll be like a grid of people just clapping and cheering. But of course, that's not the same as a live musical performance when they're just in a Zoom background like that. True. Ben, you have opinions about that correct like, <laughs> I, 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 like i hate zoom walls so much they're a dystopian nightmare and i do not care for them it's less a nightmare but just the best they can do and it's not very good but there's not any better answer can we just trust that there are viewers at home i know that's weird for these performers to not have anything performed to you but that just feels like more of a nightmare to me of course you want to show that it's, it's attended and the way to do that is by having people brought in we just, just have the presence of people Yes. Instead of it being like filmed in a vacuum, you want to be like, oh, people care and are listening and are reacting. And of course, people that perform like to perform in front of people. It is one of the main drives of musicians. That might be what we are looking at for for the later this year, because it is what it is. Yeah. Ben, what are your 
thoughts on this song since we've had a, a couple of weeks since we last spoke about it. It's growing on me. I still feel like it has two disparate sections that don't always fit together, but I, I appreciate that this feels riskier for Australia. They they have never missed the final, and this one feels less immediately like the sort of pop song that goes to Eurovision. I think that's good, and I feel like it, by being in the first semifinal, it is well-situated because the second semifinal is all over the place mm-hmm. in an exciting way, and I feel like this has more of a chance to stand out in the first semifinal. I would agree with that. I can feel a lot of the influences that she says that she has drawn upon in creating this track, like Chibiusa from Sailor Moon and Yuna from Final Fantasy X and Metal Princess Peach from Mario Kart. That actually came in after the fact, after somebody pointed it out on Twitter. And she's like, yes, I completely agree with this. (laughs) But that kind of color palette and the video game sound of it, it really does feel so different than what you would normally hear at Eurovision. But I don't know if it's different in a way that's going to excite people or confuse them. Same. It feels much closer to the bubble for me than Australia usually goes. Mm -hmm. I can see this absolutely qualifying to the final. I can also see it just missing, depending on what the audience is like that night. And the other area that I brought up when we first listened to this song is I think that the melody line in the verses is kind of fussy in a way where I think if you get off pitch initially, you're going to careen off track. There's a level of difficulty, which I respect and i think from the jury point of view where they're looking at musicality could get points but also it's a difficult melody line to perform and depending on what they want to do with the staging if you're trying to do that and do a lot of choreography is is that going to work that's very technical and very technical or as uh, <laughs> <laughs> you do pronounce the you in technical right yes we do now yeah. like <laughs> If the letter's there, we need to pronounce it. I am a big fan of this song because it has the word lasers in it. That's a solid... How many songs have the word lasers in it? We Got Style and Lasers is very good for the community. Australia is reminding everyone we have lasers. And they're not afraid to use them. <laughs> and it was sad that there seemed to be less lasers in her performance than the song was dictating. Was, I was uh, just about to say, I do need to see some lasers in the staging in Rotterdam. Even if it's just making the backdrop of whatever LED screen they have just be like the picture day background that you always wanted but couldn't have. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Why have a song with the word lasers in it if you're not going to have a big cross laser shield? As you go right into a chorus, there's no reason not to have that. I'm not a stage director, but come on, people. If you have fire in your lyrics, there had better be some pyrotechnics in the final performance. Because why not? If you're performed visually, why not? It's interesting talking about all of these staging elements. Like the lasers, I don't think it would have worked at the Mardi Gras performance because it was being performed at the middle of this very large stadium. But in that performance, she delivered a really solid vocal, going to your point, Ben, about how it can be fussy and a high degree of difficulty. So under those challenging circumstances, she delivered. In Rotterdam, I think you are going to be able to get those staging elements of the lasers and the visual components of the performance. So I think I'm coming out of this conversation a little bit more optimistic than I was going into it. I think I am too. I think it's still where my rankings are currently sitting. It's still in the middle, but Mm. I'm feeling better about it. Yeah, it's getting closer to the safer side of the bubble for me. Do you think that the Eurovision audience appreciates the level of difficulty for songs? I think the home audience may be less so. I think part of the spectacle, part of the staging of things is very much for the home audience for what's exciting there. But half of the vote is a, a, a jury from each nation that's five industry professionals. 
Gotcha. So sure. maybe looking at things much more from a technical level on the song and the actual composition, because it's ultimately right. a song contest, not a performance contest. That is the theory. It's when that theory goes into practice that sometimes gets thrown into question. I think that is the constant balance of, okay, what are we actually evaluating? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what, in theory, why the jury is there versus just pure televote is to, to give some sense of musicianship. Okay, so let's talk about our next song. Ireland selected Leslie Roy as their internal entry last year. They reselected her internally this year. Her debut album was produced by Max Martin back in mid-2000s. Mike, you found this delightful rabbit hole of MySpace era blog posts on popdirt.com that are all from around late 2008, reporting on blog updates on her MySpace page, where she is touring with David Archuleta, which is a very 2008 sentence. She's worked with Katy Perry, Adam Lambert, David Archuleta, Cara Diogordi. So again, we're just talking about like peak American Idol era. She's now part of a group of songwriters that now write pop songs all the time. She's based in NYC, and she's now representing Ireland for the second year in a row with maps. Chris, what did you make of this one? I have a master's degree in geography, so I was, of course, very excited to approach a song entitled Maps, and hopefully there will be a compilation album called Atlas featuring both Leslie Roy and the AAS as they collectively put their map songs together to make an atlas. The music video where the journey of a map is starting inland and moving towards the shore and ending at the beach, which is a beautiful way to end this in the, the music video here. I enjoyed this song. I want to hear what y'all think about it. Mike, where are you at with this one? I love this song so much. I really liked it when it first dropped, but every time that I've been listening to it, I just get more and more excited about it. And it really feels like it is the thesis statement of this year's contest. Like I said, we don't have the running order yet. I would be shocked if this does not open the show. This is the perfect opener to the semifinal, to the contest as a whole. I think it's fantastic. It has that Irish feel with the drumming. There's the drumming. I mentioned this when we first talked about the song. There's some vocal line stuff that reminds me of the cores. Mm-hmm. I- Ireland maybe getting out of its rut, which would be great. I-, I feel the same way. I like this song a lot. It, it snuck up my rankings in ways I did not expect it to. It-, it feels anthemic. I agree with you. I could see it opening the show, although I'm worried of just because I feel like Ireland has had lots of times in the past, especially five years, where they've tripped over their own feet on the staging and promotion side of things. We talked about this when we were talking about last year's contest that Ireland dropped the ball on announcing Leslie Roy's last song. This is one where I can't visualize, particularly of this five songs that we're talking about today. What does the staging look like? This is a song that is about the journey and it plays beautifully as a music video because you start in the middle of a forest and you end actually moving like a nice sweeping montage scene. And then this seems like you'd have to have a very good background to help play along and almost like you're standing still and letting the rest of the world move around you. Maybe. And I could definitely see them using some real good drone footage of the forest to the sea to create a sense of movement. I don't want this to have a full 
choreography. I don't think that would suit the song, but I don't want her to just be standing there because that also feels like it doesn't suit the song. And I'm not Mm. sure what the middle ground is between those two. Maybe just having her and her band playing. I'm thinking of uh, a couple of the songs that Malta sent, I think it was Coming Home where it was just the band playing on stage. And I think they opened up the show as well, where it was a really similar vibe. And I think if it's combined with that drone footage and maybe pictures of postcards filling up the LED screen, I think that could work and create the sense of movement that needs to happen that dancers would normally provide. Because I I agree, I don't think that this is a choreography backup This is not a choreography song. It's not even really like a contemporary, like two contemporary dancers in the corner kind of song. Mm Mm-hmm all the things we've mentioned, but also like some sweeping camera work, maybe. Although with an emptier arena, I'm not sure how much sweeping camera work we're going to see, because part of that is just seeing all the people in the crowd, and we're not going to have all the people in the crowd. Do we even know like the size of the space? Like in terms of the stage? Correct. You don't need like a Hollywood Bowl if you don't have anybody that's there. If there is no outside audience, I think what we're going to see is we're going to have the main stage, and then they're going to be moving the green room section to the floor of the arena. And I think Mm -hmm. they're still going to be moving the green room to the floor of the arena, even if there is a smaller seated crowd. So there is some possibility for that. It's so weird trying to think of these things without there being like a visible, responsive audience. (laughs) I think Mm -hmm. that is really going to change things in unpredictable ways. I think the song is great. I think this is one of the best entries Ireland sent in years. Mm -hmm. I agree. But looking at these five... Australia, we've discussed what they could potentially be doing. Lithuania, we've seen what their performances look like. North Macedonia, it's in the title of the song, Here I Stand. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we've seen what Russia would potentially be doing. And I don't think they would maybe divert from that. But Ireland is the one that I couldn't mentally picture. What are they going to be doing on stage? And that's my only concern right now. Looking at the field in semifinal one, I think they definitely have a stronger entry. But I also think they have a lot of space to shoot themselves in the foot with the staging. Please don't do that. The next one comes from Lithuania. It is The Roop and Discotech. The Roop are a pop rock band that formed in 2014. They finished third in the 2018 selection of the Lithuanian Marathon. But then they won the first season of Pabandum is Nauyo, which was a refurbished version of the Lithuanian Marathon in 2020. And they were a favorite to win Eurovision last year. Once the contest was canceled, the Lithuanian broadcaster still wanted to do Pabandum is Nauyo because it was a really good show and they wanted to ride that momentum so they gave the roop a fast pass to the final and they won that handily getting 74 percent of all votes cast over the entire series this is lithuania's best shot in years for winning eurovision what are the thoughts on discotech Y'all invite me onto this podcast every now and then, and we listen to these very good soulful anthems that are really representing like the heart and soul of a group of people. They're never the stereotypical European music that Americans believe Europe only plays. And then this Lithuanian song pops up by The Roop, and it's, my goodness, this is a European song. Just incredibleness of these folks dancing to the, the funky groove. This was delightful. 
to see the yellow clad quintet that we have here. It was rather majestic. I could not ask for more in silliness and just people having fun in a song. I thought this was, it was very good. (laughs) (laughs) They're, They're doing like, all kinds of dance moves, including the Egyptian. I'm looking ready for Egypt's entry next year in the Eurovision Song Contest. Now they've been secretly invited by Lithuania by doing the Egyptian, and I am here for it. It does not shock me this is blowing up on Lithuanian Spotify. I also appreciate how much yellow is going on in this performance, Chris. As someone who was a big fan of the bright yellow before me and I brought it into Lithuanian parlance last year with their performance, I like how joyous this performance is and how it feels like it's riffing on the shared experience we all went through in 2020 of, yeah, let's just dance in our house and turns it into an accessible pop song. We keep talking about this having children's television energy. This absolutely feels like good children's TV that isn't annoying to parents. Oh, yeah, this is totally Yo Gabba Gabba. This is Waffles and Mochi. This is something that is not incessant and annoying. I just like the energy this has. There are other songs that are maybe capturing, like, just across the full field that are capturing it, but I think this is another strong entry from the Roop. They had a lot of energy last year with On Fire, and they've kept the same energy with this in a different way. They, they, they had a good creative team last year, and their gang's back together. I do think that this is an improvement on last year's entry. The main criticism with On Fire last year was the simplicity of the lyrics, where it was simplistic to the point of being basic. I I don't think the lyrics are that much more sophisticated, but you don't have the whole fire, desire, like that type of rhyme scheme. There's a little bit more story going on here, even if it is a simpler story. I think kids are really going to get invested in this one. Like going back to the whole children's television thing. If there are like little kids that are watching this on the night, I think they're going to just adore this performance. It has real good TikTok dance potential, which is becoming a thing we need to watch out for. For good and for ill. So. <laughs> for good and for ill. It didn't shock me from watching the music video that this was just TikTok dances pushed into the music video. I am unsure of all of the current trends. And it wouldn't shock me if this was just a series of different popular already existing dance moves merged into one. And like they say, I got the moves, it's gonna blow, which I thought was a bold line to say how much, but still dancing alone, we're safe here. That's what they say. Yeah. And the fact that the lead singer is able to do so many of those moves in the same shoes that Pee Wee wore when doing the tequila thing in Kiwi's Big Adventure. (laughs) That is an added level of difficulty, and I fully respect that. Do you feel that it was almost inevitable that most of the countries would create a song that was thematic to the events of the last year? We definitely had some that were a little bit too attuned to things in the course of national final season. There was an Israeli entry that really needed somebody outside the room to come in and go, what are you writing? What is what? No, no. You can have a dance party in your house is a much more acceptable theme than I want to infect my generation with love. That's Um, beautiful, Ben. It's beautiful, but also don't see the word infect right now. I want to contaminate this generation with believing in each other. That's what I want to do. Getting back to your question, there are some songs in the field that are definitely 2020 2021 tm and i think that's going to be an interesting aspect of this contest are people going to vote for something that is so trapped in amber or is there going to be greater success for things that are a little bit more 
I don't want to say timeless because that that feels a little too grand, but not sure. of its time, if, if right. that makes sense. But then you also have the 80s influence that is also weaving its way through. So it's definitely not of its time, but is that timeless as well? My, my brain just went to a weird reject modernity embrace tradition place just because because <laughs> that whole meme is happening, but mostly in the context of the Suez Canal versus the Cape of Good Horn. <laughs> Oh, I cannot wait for the 2022 songs about that. Ugh. <laughs> oh my gosh, I want the song about the boat now. <laughs> Presumably when Egypt gets to join, they'll do a song about it. Egypt making their debut with Containership of Love. <laughs> there it is. That's the song. Oh, yeah. This whole episode is going to be the campaign to get Egypt into the Eurovision Song Contest. I, I will check on eligibility when we're done recording. <laughs> Say what you will. Egypt is closer to Europe than Australia. This seems, you know, yeah. slam dunk if you ask me. Everybody's energy has been so focused on getting Morocco to come back. Yeah, yeah. Now here I stand. There's no pretense. in your hand I'm chained my wings and the oceans of tears will fade to black Okay, so let's talk about North Macedonia. The performer this year, Vassal, sang backup for them in 2019 and was selected internally for 2020. They made the decision to go with him again. He is a classically trained baritone who lives in the Chicago area. He moved there when he was 12. He is the author of this song, Here I Stand. And there was a little controversy in the last week where briefly North Macedonia was considering not letting him participate and pulling out of the contest. But ultimately that was resolved. He will be there. Yay. Fantastic. Chris, what did you make of Here I Stand? This was the true anthem of the songs in this set that I listened to here. It was truly standing up. The idea of coming together and moving forward. I do appreciate the color scheme of the music video. Uh, A year and a half ago, I saw the documentary Honeyland, which is really the first thing of North Macedonia that I've ever really watched. And it's about honey farmers. And it appears to be a very vibrant country, but it mostly was brown and tan in the documentary and i appreciated that same color scheme went with the music video still not a lot of greens and blues a lot of yellows and browns i thought that he was really showing off his pipes for this song and i enjoyed it i thought it was uh, a lot of the idea of the unity theme i thought that was a nice message mike where are you at on this one i wish there was a little bit more time between when we first talked about it and talking about it now it's fine for what it is that sounds really harsh this isn't really for me the thing for me is that watching the performance in the video and what i feel will be a very similar performance the song title tells you what the performance is here i stand Mm -hmm. i am standing on this stage performing this song with all of my heart it has the aesthetic and appearance of this sort of ballad but also lyrically it's just soup salad and breadsticks (laughs) it is the full unlimited lunch at the Olive Garden. I hope we're not knocking Olive Garden here. No, no, uh, no, 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 no. There, there is no Olive Garden slander in this household. Olives are grown in North Macedonia, so please don't go uh, striking against the country. Uh, no, of course not. I agree with all that. You're saying this is really not a Eurovision song. No, it very much feels like a Eurovision ballad, but almost to the point of being a parody of one for me. It's I hitting so many metaphors. There's a part towards the, the middle end where it's weirdly speeding up because it has to cram more metaphors in it, where it's like a person who is making up the lyrics 
as they go along and just stringing you along from the ocean of tears to the blackness to the it's just a person looking around the room and making up George Glass and I just smile sure Jan I I think this is a very Eurovision song but in the sense of when somebody who's not a fan of Eurovision and is deriding Eurovision, this would be an example mm-hmm. that they would point to of why they don't like Eurovision and why right. it has nothing to do with modern pop music. And I don't think that's always fair because I think there have been some fantastic entries that are more operatic and that's not going to play on radio. I do think there is a almost adult contemporary, but like nighttime adult contemporary. What is that show? Delilah? Is that her name? Yeah. It would play during that 10 p.m. to 2 a.m block where it's certainly not offensive but not particularly interesting it's not going to rock the boat it's not going to jolt you awake or anything but there's enough going on that you're not going to fall asleep if you're driving right yeah the song is technically proficient Mm -hmm. but also isn't interesting that feels mean. I, I like Vassal as a performer, and I think this, compared to his song last year, is much more what he wants to be singing. Mm-hmm. And I respect that a lot. I like that North Macedonia has given him that freedom, particularly after briefly reconsidering said freedom. But I feel like this needed a co-writer to come in and go, okay, let's pick two or three of these. Yes. Do you think because there was a full slate last year, obviously, but like the fact that this is the first one in two years... People are trying to, like, it's been stewing for a while. Do you think things have been stewing for too long for some countries? I don't think it's necessarily things have been stewing too long, because I think what's been great for a lot of these artists is that they've come back and they're giving us a different facet of who they are as a performer. Sure. But particularly with this one and with a few other songs, it's such a different style of song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't actively dislike this song. I, I feel like I need to be clear about that. It's yeah. not doing enough to ha- help it rise through the ranks to the point where it's, yes, this is going to be in my top 10 of this field of 16. Exactly. Especially because I feel like now that we have all 39 entries, this is a really good crop of Eurovision songs. Mm-hmm. Everybody took the last year and did some really excellent work, but... When you have to get down to the nitty gritty of comparing them and thinking about which of these 10 do I want to get through from this semifinal, it suffers in comparison. Yeah, and that's not to say that he didn't do the work. I think he definitely has done the work. There's something that's just not clicking. Every Russian woman needs to know. You're strong enough, you're gonna break the wall. Every Russian woman needs to know. You're strong enough, you're gonna break the wall. So the last one that we have today comes from Russia, and it's Maniza's Russian Woman. Channel One, Russia's broadcaster, had a last-minute selection show like a week before songs were due, and it's possible they may not have done much due diligence about Maniza before selecting her as a contestant and ultimately their representative. She's been going through it the last week because a lot of people are not fans of her because she's not towing the Russian political line. She was born in Tajikistan. Her family fled to Moscow in 1994 during the Tajik Civil War. She competed in a number of music competitions and went on to study gospel music in London and New York City. And she is an activist in many areas, preventing domestic violence 
LGBT equality. She's a UN Goodwill ambassador for refugees. Some of her other notable credits include singing the theme song for the Russian dub of the live-action Mulan movie that came out last year. So she's done a lot of awesome things, and the public are resistant to her song as an entry. They asked for an investigation as to whether the lyrics were illegal. (laughs) This is getting into Russian law that I'm not overly familiar with, so I don't want to overstate anything. The investigation turned out in Manisa's favor. What what are folks' thoughts on the song? We have done our initial rankings, and this is one of the areas of difference. We're not fully aligned, but we're in the same headspace on a lot of things. And this one, I think I just need more time with, and it might just be similar to how North Macedonia, it's been very soon. I like elements of this song, but I'm not sure that they fully go together. There's a brass component that feels very Balkan. That reminds me of various Serbian entries from the past, other entries that I enjoy, but it's weirdly all over the place. And I'm wondering if it's just slightly too specific for Eurovision. Lyrically, I see why the Russian populists like this, but I'm not sure it's as universal a sentiment as some of the other entries we've discussed. Although I did notice that they've done like some lyrical changes. The live performance that's on the Eurovision channel, every Russian woman needs to know you're strong enough to bounce against the wall. Why are we sending all of the Russian women against the wall? Why do they need to bounce? I'm still forming my thoughts on this one. I like portions of it, but I'm not sure all those portions go together. There's some interesting stuff happening, and I think that's why it has risen up my rankings, because I like that they're trying something and that it feels different, particularly for Russia, who typically very much wants to be along its party line. And this is bucking against that in an interesting way. Chris, what did you make of this? I think when you said, does it fit Eurovision? A woman from Russia wrote this song about Russian women, directing it to other Russian women. And then it is being aired for the entire Eurovision audience. And that does make sense that there might be a little bit too much going on. Is it for the audience of Italians and people from Greece and, you know, Ireland? I'm not sure. Having looked at the English lyrics for this, I like what it's trying to do, taking on all of these societal things that we put on women. Like, you're in your 30s, where are your kids? You should, you know, put on something longer, put on something shorter. Just hitting all of the things that society in general puts Mm. on women. But because it's in Russian, I feel like that sentiment's going to potentially get lost. Mike, where are you at? I love this song so much. Oh, my God. (laughs) 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 Why are you both so wrong? No, um, it's... There are two hosts of this podcast. Oh my goodness. The first time that I saw this performed, first of all, she was the only one who had an interesting performance at their national final. Because again, this was thrown together within, I'll be nice and say 72 hours. (laughs) There was a point of view to the song, and even though the lyrics were primarily in Russian, the tone of voice and the delivery and the shifting in the vocals, you can tell where the jokes are, where the eye rolls are, and really convey the story of the song, even if I don't understand the specifics of what that story is. This is reminding me so much of M.I.A.'s first couple of albums. It is a very political song, but not in that capital P political way that Eurovision is not a political contest. Drink. Um, Thank you. Everything that I read about her and every link that I click about her, she just seems more and more badass. And I just love it. I'm so bothered by all of the vitriol that's been sent her way. It's so frustrating to see that. Learning about her gospel background, which took me by surprise. But then listening to the song again, there's totally that call and response element to it. Even though it's called Russian Woman, I don't think it is specifically geared toward Russian women. I think 
part of that choice of, of phrasing is to hint at the idea that perhaps Russian women are being treated as second class, third class citizens. But if they're able to fight and resist and make their stake in the world, then anybody should be able to do that. And I think that is the overall message of the song. My fear about this is just given all of the controversy that is surrounding the song, she's going to get abandoned by the delegation. I think she has her work cut out for her, but I I think she has the charisma and talent and uniqueness and nerve, I guess. I <laughs> so say, you, might, might as well be the whole thing. complete the so, acronym? Yeah. Uh, this song has personality in space. Mm-hmm. And I think in this field, that's going to go a long way. There's a lot of controversy right now. I'm wondering if that's going to burn hot and fast by the time we get to the contest. I share your concern that the Russian delegation is just going to wash their hands of this and leave her to herself, mm-hmm. which is not great, which means that the performance itself is going to not measure up to everybody else. There's some interesting musicality, and I think there's a lot of places where it's doing interesting things, and they maybe just haven't sent size for me if the delegation chose her without looking into it being like all right write your song and it's a big rallying cry for russian women and kind of a middle finger for other people you gotta respect it it simply must be respected i don't know how it would play for the rest of the countries listening to it but it was still this is still incredibly well done on making this song and hopefully the controversy around it would not deter that should still be able to go be on the stage and there would still be a nice backing for her Mm -hmm. and from other countries russia is typically so much more strategic about what they send to eurovision they have a model that they send and it's typically a song like either a sergey lazarev doing his thing or something like a million voices where that song is great polina does a lovely job of singing it but it's a very tactical song lyrically of what russia wants its image to be in the world yes this is going against all of that which i think is what makes it so surprising and refreshing normally i would not stand for russia (laughs) due to Mm -hmm. political differences but the fact that she is pro-LGBT equality. That is a big deal. And it would be almost hilarious if Russia won. This almost feels like the Hattari situation, Mm -hmm. but Iceland was fine with Hattari. Russia is not fine with this. Russia Russia could have taken the easy way out and just been like, yes, we're sending whatever Little Big wants to do again. Mm -hmm. Although having listened to what Little Big put out this year, they made the right choice there. They made themselves so much more interesting, but I'm not sure it's going to work. It cannot be contained. And now she's just going to go out there and see what happens. Yeah. And she seems so nice. The BBC interview, which we'll have linked in the show notes, she comes across as lovely. Stop being mean to her. So, <laughs> so Chris, any final thoughts about this field of five? Was there anything that particularly jumped out to you or something that you are definitely rooting for in the overall scheme of things? I like to pull for my children and my children are the countries that you let me come on and talk about whether or not they are in a top flight. It's always fun for these five countries. I'm certainly hoping that someone that I was talking with you about will be one of the ones that go and prosper, but it wouldn't shock me if it's a different country. That is just the nature of the beast. I think the theme of this current year is strong and everyone's writing that theme. It'd be interesting to see how they perform these on the stage that will be possibly minimally seen by in-person people. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to be excited for anything might could or may happen. Excellent. Where can people find you online? 
I am on Twitter at CKingSC, letter C, word king, and then the initials SC. And I uh, tweet way too much there. You can find me there to hear other opinions about music and geography, which is what Eurovision is all about. Bring those two subjects together. Thank you so much for joining us. And that's going to do it for this episode of the EuroWhat. Thanks for listening. The EuroWhat podcast is hosted by Mike McComb. That's me and Ben Smith. That's me. You can follow the EuroWhat on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcast app of your choice. If you'd like to support the show, we're also on Patreon at patreon.com slash EuroWhat. Show notes are in the description of this episode and on our website at EuroWhat.com. If you'd like to contact us, we're at EuroWhat on Twitter, or you can email EuroWhatPodcast at gmail.com. Next week, we will continue our journey through the first semifinal with special guest Ned Raggett.